Right now, we're in the middle of a series about choices. Uh, those of you who were here last week know that we just started this. It's about, it's called Choose 2008. And uh, we have this website. It's www.choose2008.org. And if you go to this website, you can hear stories of people who have made a choice, have endured, kind of like we saw in the video, and, and they share their testimony, how God worked through them. And uh, we have these actually out over at the information booth. You can pick one of these yard signs up. You can put it uh, in your yard. And, and this is kind of how it works. Once you get this, uh, I think you have to assemble it. There's a wire and the piece here. You put it in your yard. Your neighbors, they start to look at it. And what are they, what are they trying to figure out? They want to know who you're going to vote for, Obama or McCain, right? And then they go, what is that? So then there's probably like a tied to one of the candidates. And then they go, and then they see all these great testimonies about God. So uh, get one of these. You'll have some fun with your neighbors. Those of you who were here last week uh, know that our lead pastor, Donnie, uh, opened us up talking about choices and the power that choices have in our lives to just change the trajectory of where we are headed, and how it's those little things, those little choices that make such a big impact when all things are said and done. One of the things that he tied in there was that as we start to make choices, we always have to be looking at what God's word says, where our passion, passions are naturally leading, the commitments we've already made, and then our current life situation. And then we ask the question, what is the wise thing? When I put all these together, what is the wise course of action? And that is a a great way to think through how to make choices. But as I think about it right now, this very moment, this very day, there are people who are making a decision that they are going to start a budget. But there are far many more people who are going to file for bankruptcy or looking at their finances in total disrepair. Today, people are going to start a diet They've got the plan, they've got whatever diet they're working on, but far many more people today are overweight and are continuing to struggle. There are some people who this very day are going to say vows to one another. They're going to lay out a commitment for the rest of their life. But I promise you there are far more weddings going to occur today than there are 50th wedding anniversaries. And today there are going to be parents who hold a little baby in their arms for the very first time. And they're not going to look down at this little child and they're going to just wonder at the amazement of what God can create. And they're going to say, I'm going to love them. I'm going to, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to invest in you. You are important to me. But today there are far more kids who hardly know their parents and have gotten pushed aside by work, extracurricular activities, changes in spouses. Why is it that we have such a hard time following through on our choices? There's always a lot of fanfare when you get started. Wedding days are big days, but there's not as much on the back end. Why is it so hard? What is the secret? What's that one thing that allows some people to carry out their choices, carry out their commitments, and make it through to the other side, while the rest of us kind of struggle along and and have to to keep starting and yet never really make it there? We'll go in another direction here. Who is the most influential person in human history? Just throw out a name. Most influential. Jesus, yeah. Jesus, anytime you're in church, Jesus is a good choice, you know? 
it's almost like 50-50, you're going you're gonna to hit the right answer. I agree with you. Who do you think is the second most influential person? Could be Moses. There'd be a good argument for that. I think as far as today, it's Paul. And the only reason I say that is because Paul, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't running around with Jesus during his ministry. But yet, you look at, at Paul, uh, he ended up launching the churches that, that are really, we are descendant of today. Almost every church that, that you go to is a descendant of a church that Paul planted. He was a church planter during the first century. And if you open up your Bible and you just grab all of the books between 1 Corinthians and Philemon, those were all written by Paul. He wrote one-third of the entire New Testament, the vast majority of it compared to any of the other writers that had any, any sway or influence. So Paul's a pretty amazing guy. But I think the most amazing thing about Paul and, and about the power of his influence is that he was somebody who was going in one path. He made a decision, followed through through great trials and, and temptations, and he ended on the back end faithful. And so we're going to take a look at Paul's life and see if we can glean from it what secrets he found and what he did that made such changes. Well, the first thing that we see for Paul is that a path must be chosen. You've got to make a decision. It starts that way. And for, for Paul, he didn't start out as Paul. He started out as Saul. And he was, uh, he was a, a fast riser. I mean, he was young. He was intellectual. He's, uh, you'd have to kind of liken him to um, like Chief Justice Roberts. You remember when Chief Justice Roberts was going through the confirmation and and it was kind of frustrating to the, to the Democrats because they didn't like a lot of his political standing. But they said it's hard to deny that he is an intellectual giant. Here's this young guy who's just so sharp and has been through the, the right schools and studied under the right people. That was Saul. Saul was this young guy, but he was an up-and-coming. He studied under Gamaliel, which was one of the renowned professors, one of the renowned um, uh, Pharisees or teachers of the law at that time. And uh, it'd be kind of synonymous to somebody going to Harvard Business School or, or going to a prestigious institution. And not only that, but, but he was a fast riser. And the way that Saul was making his name as an upstanding Jew is that he was stamping out this, this new sect of Judaism that was rising up. A group of few people were running around following Jesus and uh, they tried to stamp it out. They had killed this, this Jesus fellow, and yet they just keep cropping up all over the place, and they were really threatening the established order of the day. And so Saul made it his focus in life to stamp out this sect this, uh, of, of, of believers in this Messiah that surely could not have been. And so he even went to the high priest. just shows you the kind of access that he had at this time as such a young man. He went to the high priest, who, who was really the leader of the uh, Jewish establishment. And he said, give me some letters so that I can go to all the synagogues in the region and I can hunt out these Christ followers, these, these people who follow Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. And in fact, he, he found one of them by the name of Stephen. And it talks about how Stephen, we, get, we got it in the book of Acts, that he gives this long testimony and he teaches about He's telling these, 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 these Jews about who Jesus was and how he really is the Messiah. And they stone him. 
And in that story, it says that, that before they stoned him, they laid their, their coats at the feet of Saul so that they wouldn't get all bloody. And it's really a way of saying that Saul was the one who was behind that, the murder of, of Stephen. So Saul is on his way to the to a town of Damascus where he's going to root out some more of these Christians. And he, on the path there, he's this bright light, just like lightning, you know, cracks in front of him. And he hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's, it's Jesus, it's the risen Lord appearing to him in this, this amazing way. And Saul, at the end of this, becomes Paul. And he's struck by this call of Jesus on his life. And he, he goes into Damascus and he learns from this man named Ananias who was also called by God to go in there and talk to this person who, who they knew, everybody knew, was, was on the hunt for, for believers. And Paul goes off on this, this absolute change. But you know, as I study this, I mean, we always say, well, yeah, that's an amazing thing. Jesus appeared to Paul like that. But I don't think that that's the first place where Jesus appeared to Paul or Saul. I actually think that it happened a little earlier. I think it happened when, when he was first learning about these Christ followers, when he was hunting down and murdering Stephen. Now, I think that he looked out there and he knew what the law taught and he wanted to do what was right. And he heard of these people who were following another Messiah like, like Jews have done in the past, but this one was gaining steam. And as he started to confront these Christ followers, he found that they actually were more genuine and were more following the law, the very spirit of the law, than his buddies, the Pharisees, who followed the letter but found all kinds of laws to get around doing what God really wanted them to do. And I think he got frustrated because his whole entire paradigm was just crashing down. And so his response was, I'm going to stomp these people out because they are gaining such influence. But see, that's what Jesus does. Jesus, he's calling us. I mean, you are here right now, not because you got a flyer or not because somebody invited you to come to LifePoint. You are here today because Jesus is calling you. He is calling you. And, and if you're here for the first time, I'm telling you, that's why you're here today. If you have come back more two or three times, there's a reason you keep coming back. And maybe you haven't bought in to all of this yet, but you're curious. You're seeing something here at LifePoint that's, that's a little different. Seeing the people who get up on stage or that you're interacting with, they're just as messed up as you and they're trying to find their way. And you see that we're just all trying to, to find out what God is wanting us to do and none of us are perfect. Something about the folks that are that's a little more loving, a little more different, not that they're perfect, but a little more real and it draws you back. See, I think that's what was happening here. But I, I'd had a conversation with somebody in uh, my small group last week, and they mentioned that they invited a friend. And uh, it was, or I, actually, I think it was a, a member of their family that came and, and took in the service. And they really didn't want to come. I said, all right, I'll come. And they left the service, and they were just angry. They just, they hated everything they saw here. And uh, those of you who have been in other churches, I mean, we're pretty laid back here. <laughs> And, and we're, we're, you know, pretty relevant and pretty, you know, low-key. I was like, well, what is it that they hated about LifePoint so much? What did they hate about the, the service? And they couldn't articulate it. They just said they hated it. But I think I know what happened. I think they said, I know what this whole church thing's about. I know what these Christ followers are like. 
And uh, that's all right, I'll go. I'll get some great stories. I'll go tell the buddies, you know. But I think that as they started interacting with the people and they took in what we're all about, that it started messing with their presuppositions, with their worldview of how this is. And it, and it bothered them because, you know, this is the way the world should be. They thought, knew what, what, what Christ followers were like. And I think it just that call, that sense that maybe there might be some truth here. Maybe there is a God and he does have some call in my life and he does want to know me, and, but I don't want that. And so the response is anger and running. And I think Saul did that for a long time. But it begins with making a choice. And despite all of his reservations, despite all of those feelings of like, ah, I don't know about this. This goes against everything that I've ever learned, but yet there's something real and true about it. He chose to follow Jesus. And it took him on a wildly different path. No longer was he headed towards the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of his day, as a young, uprising uh, politician and teacher. But the path was going to take him to hardship, prison, eventual beheading. But he made that choice. But any of us who are going to make a choice, uh, you're going to run into obstacles. That's just the very nature of what it is to, to make a choice and to try to follow through on it. People are going to come at you and they are going to try to dissuade you or, or try to turn you or they're going to attack your choice. Or just circumstances. You're just going to... I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. A little different from the, the course he was on. But that's the nature of making a decision. You want to choose to fulfill the vows that you made when, when you got married? You're going to run into obstacles. I think the first one is just the reality when you, you've been married for a year and you, you realize this isn't exactly the person that I, I, thought, I thought I was marrying. They're pretty messed up. And then, you know, financial pressures come into play. And God forbid that you have children. You talk about putting some pressure and obstacles on on maintaining a relationship with your spouse. That'll do it. As as wonderful as they are. You want to maintain those vows. It's going to come at you. You want to try to have a budget? What happens when you lose your job? And now you've got to do a massive adjustment. Or you've got to take a cut and pay. That's an obstacle. Or when those hunger pains start, when you started that diet and you know it's going to come, what are you going to do when those obstacles happen? And how about kids? I mean, you know, they don't come with an owner's manual. And then they're always changing. Like every time you think you've got it figured out or you've got something that's working, they, they find a way around. They're like water. They just seep and find the, the path of least resistance and work you until you, 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 you know, wore down enough. You're going to face obstacles. Paul faced obstacles. But Paul discovered a little secret. A secret in overcoming those obstacles. Listen to what he said to that church in Corinth. And this is when um, he is, he's, you know, 
he talks about this thorn in the flesh that there was like something. We probably think it was people who were persecuting him. And he's like, Lord, please take this away. This is an obstacle to my ministry. I'm trying to do what you want me to do. And yet God doesn't take it away and allows him to persist through this trial and the struggle. And uh, finally, he says, this is what the Lord spoke to me. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, this is Paul now, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you start on a choice, you want to control the variables, right? I mean, that, you know, you're going to try to keep the, the vehicle going in this direction. The wind blows here, you make adjustments. You want to control your environment. And what Paul said is that it just hits a point where you can't control it anymore. You can't, you can't make this stuff happen. Your body starts to give out. You start to feel your will giving out. And he says, when that happens and the persecution or the struggle or whatever that wall is, is overwhelming, just let go. I'm not going to fight this battle anymore. I am going to give this to Christ. And in fact, hey, you want to bring on more, more struggle, more trials? That's okay. We'll find another way. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll stand for a little longer. I'll hold out a little longer. And what he found in those moments is that, is that Jesus Christ came along and gave him strength to get through it, to bear with it when he couldn't overcome it, to just weather the storm until he could keep pressing on. But that's the joy. And you know, of course, when you do this, it is such a release because not only do you not have to take charge of this thing anymore, but your pride is gone and you just say, God, whatever. We're just going to carry this through. But I will continue to follow you and I will continue on the path that, that you have led me to. That's what Jesus led out there. And that's where Jesus led him and that's the experience that he had. But not only are you going to run into obstacles and walls, but as you're working through this, you're going to have distractions. There are going to be things that, that are just going to come your way and you're going to have to avoid them because they're going to try to pull you from where you're headed. They could be other interests or just another vision. You know, I mean, you've got this vision for your life, but then suddenly you start to add other visions. You get multiple visions or, or die is the word for two. Uh, division, division. That's where we get our word from that. And of course, when that happens, you, you don't see anybody accomplish anything through division of their efforts. And uh, that's why when, when Paul was writing to his understudy, Timothy, he said to him, he says, listen, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. I mean, hey, you know, Roman is, the Romans are occupying the land at this time. And everybody knows that they try to avoid getting involved in civilian affairs so that they can focus on, on carrying out the, out the task that was given them. And another time, Paul, he's talking to the church in Corinth. And uh, this time, you know, hey, the Olympics, they happened even back in Paul's days there in, in Greece. That's where they started. And so he lays this out to the, the folks living in Corinth. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. When you set out on your choice, on the decision that you make, 
Stuff's going to come in your way, and you're going to have to fight it off. Paul had to fight it off. We're going to have to do it. You think about your marriage. You want to have a strong marriage? You're going to have to protect your marriage. You're going to have to protect yourself. Just a few weeks ago, my wife flew to uh, Kansas City to go back home, see her sister's baby. And uh, so she's making this flight alone. And uh, there's a, a stop in Charlotte. And so there was this guy that she was sitting next to and you know, having a conversation with him. And, and towards the end, um, they both have connecting flights, but the, the word came out that my wife's flight is probably going to be delayed. And so it was going to be like touch and go whether or not she could connect with her next flight. And uh, this guy says, well, you know, there's this great Mexican restaurant here in the airport. I, you want to do that? I, I, I could take you out for dinner. I mean, I, let me just give my, my, my call wife, tell her I'm not going to be able to make my connecting flight. And, uh, you know, we could, we could have dinner. You can imagine what my wife's thinking at this point. But that, that's the environment. And so lesson learned, my wife's not allowed to travel alone anymore. It's over. <laughs> but, you know, I heard that. And I, I was talking with somebody the other night. That is a, she's a lady, she works in an environment with a lot of men, and I just said, hey, you know, you're in this environment every day, you're out in the workforce, um, do you get hit on a lot? And she's like, all the time. Guys are always trying to, you know, see if they can find some angle. So basically I discovered men are pigs. That's, <laughs> ladies had it figured out. But here's the deal. You're going to, the world we live in, you're going to find yourself in environments where, where you are, are hanging out with people of the opposite sex. And, so, and part of the things that I, ha- I have in place in my life are that I don't go to dinner with somebody that is not my wife. I don't, go, I don't go to dinner with a woman. I don't drive in a car with a woman. But you know what? Sometimes you don't have that choice. The, the, couple, the lady I was talking with, she had to go to a training event and had to spend five hours in a car with this guy who throughout the, you know, they had to eat dinner together because he had the charge card and he's hitting on her. That's the deal. That's the world that we live in. And, and I think that's why there's so many affairs happening today. Because when we go into it, you've got to put these barriers in place. You've got to say, there's some things I'm not going to do. I'm not going to drink alcohol when I am in an environment. I want anything that can impair my judgment. You've got to put protections in place. You want to carry out a budget? You've got to find a way to live on cash. You've got to find a way to discipline yourself and force you into it. Maybe you have to put money into a secret hidden account that you just ignore and you just you focus on what you're, you're doing. I don't know what it is. You'll have to figure it out. These aren't laws. I'm not laying out laws here. But you're going to have to find a way to avoid the distractions if you are going to carry out what God has called you to do. Uh, same thing when it comes with your diet. You, know, you just have to not buy some of that stuff. But again, you have to figure it out. But if you hold to it, if you carry this stuff out, if you can work through, not only make that choice, but bear through the trials and the resistance that you face, and then avoid any distraction, keep your, your, your eye focused on the prize, then you're going to reap a reward. You're going to be that one who, who gets to experience a 50th wedding anniversary. Now, go through, go through those trials or whatever else. I had one couple... Uh, and they had been married 50 years, and I, I was actually doing this wedding, and uh, not their wedding, but uh, I was doing a wedding that they were at, and I said, hey, did you, you know, 50 years, what kind of stuff, was it hard to, did you have a lot of trials or struggles you've gone through in your marriage? They said, yeah, you know, they said, there was one time 11 years in that I, he says, I thought we were getting a divorce. I mean, it was almost, we were ready to, to, to begin separating, and we just said, you know what, we're not ready to give up on this, let's give it one more shot. 
I'm listening to this, and I'm looking, because their whole family's there, and I'm like, wow, the impact on these kids and everybody else, because they said, we're going to fight through it. We're going to try to give it another shot. Or maybe for your budget, you're going to be somebody who lives the Dave Ramsey thing that, you know, you live like nobody else so that you can live like nobody else in the future. You know, or, or you'll finally experience by following through in your diet and persisting and finding a way to eat the right things and exercise that you finally have a healthy body. Maybe you went 25, 30, 40 years and didn't have one, but you would finally experience it because you make that decision. Or how about those kids? that you get to actually see your kids carrying out the principles and values that you instilled and just to be really proud of what they've become. Now, I think that's some of the rewards that happen when we put these things in practice, when we follow what Jesus has taught us to do and we start to live out our choices. But I'll tell you this, there's no guarantees. You know what? You could do all the right things. You could just make the right choices. You could say, I'm gonna give it another go. But there's other people involved that have to make choices. You could raise your kids perfectly and they still go veering off. Does that mean it's a failure though? I mean, is it, is it just hanging the balance like that? You know, when I look at, at Paul's life, I think that the, the biggest thing isn't what happened at the end because he never got to see any of that. He never really got to see what happened and he never got to have a, a Bible, you know, <laughs> where it was all of his writings and letters that have been gathered together you know, you didn't get to see that piece of it. But God did an amazing work in him. Listen to the very last words that, that Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, um, as he's getting ready to, to be executed. He says to Timothy, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. You see, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is stored up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now, Paul says that his life at this point is being poured out. As he looks over it, he says, you know what? I don't know what the ultimate result of this stuff is. I know the path I was on and I know that I poured my life out to serve Jesus, to serve his kingdom, to live out his principles in my life. I poured it out. And I think as he looks, he says, I don't know what the success is gonna be. I don't know what all that, but I am confident that I have kept the faith. I've run the, the race. I fought the fight. And see, there's a beautiful thing there because I think through all of these things that we do, that even though God does amazing things through us, he's always more concerned about changing us in the process. It's always more about internally what we're experiencing, how we're changing, how we're being humbled, rather than the circumstances that we're facing or even the outcomes of the things that we do. Because he wants us to get to a point where he can have a deep, resonating relationship with us and that we can feel his presence a presence that overcomes any of these other things, failures in our outcomes, our circumstances, or hard times that we face. That's the real beauty so that all of us who have longed for his appearing can experience that. Would you please bow with me? Heavenly Father, 
there are so many choices that laid out before us. It's like you've created this world and it's just, it's choices. Are we going to, are we going to listen to the call? Are we going to come back to hear a little more? Find out if, if you're really true. If you really show up. If you really do answer prayer. If you really could touch our life. If you're just more than, than just principles, but a real presence in our life. So many choices, so many temptations, so many obstacles. And so we ask for your help, that you would enable us to overcome, that you would remind us at the right times, that you would help us to find a plan to protect ourselves from from all the temptations and the things that want to dissuade us, that we might be changed and become who you have longed for us to become. We pray these things in the powerful name that is Jesus Christ. Amen.